Hi, I'm Emily Salaby, founder of Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company, and your host on the Hazard Girls podcast here on Jacket Media. I'm so honored to host this show where I get to chat with Hazard Girls about their careers. Hazard Girls is an online community for women working in traditionally male-dominated fields. On our show, you'll get to hear from these amazing women about the path that led them to their current careers, challenges they've overcome, advice for other women in entering these industries, and more. Nancy Surak is a senior advisor and managing broker for Land Advisor Organization's Tampa Bay office. She has more than 20 years of experience in commercial real estate, specializing in land brokerage since 2005, and earning recognition by Land Advisors Organization as a top producer since joining the firm in 2015. Nancy was named the top woman land broker in the nation by the Realtors Land Institute in 2021 for sales volume, and she's consistently ranked among the top commercial real estate brokers in the Tampa Bay area year after year. She was awarded the 2021 Best Real Estate Deals Community Impact Award by the Tampa Bay Business Journal and named a 2021 Woman to Watch in Commercial Real Estate by Globestreet.com. She was a finalist for NAIOP Tampa Bay's Land Deal of the Year 2018, was honored to be among the Gulf Coast Business Review's 40 Under 40, and was named the top woman in Florida commercial real estate by the Florida Real Estate Journal. And there's more than that, but I think we'll get into that later. Nancy is a graduate of Louisiana State University with a BS in International Trade and Finance and has an MA in Mass Communication from the University of Florida. And something really cool, she is the creator and host of She's Wild, the podcast for women in land and development. Welcome to the Hazard Girls podcast, Nancy. Thank you so much, Emily. When you read my intro, it makes me like want to get to know myself even better. I'm like, <laughs> like who is this woman? And I need to be her friend. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> well, right? you probably know that the Hazard Girls podcast is all about badass women like yourself, but it's also all about careers. So I would love to talk for a moment about your career. What is a land advisor and what is a land broker and what's the difference? Okay, great question, right? Because there is a big difference. So a land broker is a real estate agent or broker who works with landowners and land buyers in the transactional space. They are there to help market a property if they're working on behalf of the owner to buyers or the buying community. If they're working on behalf of a buyer, they're working in the opposite way. They're looking for the site that that buyer needs and wants to develop. But they're there really just to get the deal done. A land advisor is a much broader term. Mm -hmm. We actually, people like myself and my company, actually get under the hood with our clients and we advise them from a more financial viewpoint of, is it the right time for you to sell this particular piece of property? Mm -hmm. And if not, we're more strategic in terms of, well, why not? What can mm -hmm. you do to better position that piece of land or when might be the right time? And then we get into, if we're working, you know, in that particular example, if we're working with a landowner. If we're working with a landowner who maybe is also a developer and they're looking at, they've maybe developed a portion of a, a very large master plan community, they're looking at it more from a financial lens of what is the value today of this community? What can we get out of it if we were to sell not having it completely finished versus 
we go ahead and finish it and we help them weigh their risk factor. And then, you know, we also provide that service for buyers where we help them with their underwriting and really understanding the grittiness of the financial side of the deal. What makes a deal work? What makes a deal not work? And we provide that advisory service. And I personally take it one step further. I have a lot of families that I consult with in the state of Florida who own more than one piece of land. Mm -hmm. And I help them really understand their portfolio as a whole. Mm. What do you own? What's Mm -hmm. happening in those particular markets? And that way they can determine when and if they should sell and how they should sell and who their best, you know, who the best strategy is, the target buyer, et cetera. Did you work in conjunction with their financial advisor? Sometimes, sometimes, but it's such a unique asset class Mm -hmm. is what I find as I do a lot more education. Mm -hmm. If it's somebody who maybe is more comfortable with other types of assets and investments like stocks and stuff, Mm -hmm. they don't always understand all the terminology. Yeah. So I'm happy to keep them informed and have them on emails, but primarily I find it better and easier if it's just more one-on-one or with the families Mm -hmm. themselves. And then, so what is the difference then between the land broker and the real estate agent, the commercial real estate agent? So an agent is somebody who has to work under a broker in the state of Florida. And I think this is national. In the state of Florida, in order to be a broker, you have to have at least five years of experience as an agent. So there's a much higher level of licensing requirements and a lot more responsibilities and a lot more risk. So I'm a broker. I used to be an agent, but a lot more education and insurance requirements and things you just can't do. It's something that, yeah, it's something that you reach along your career. Now, okay, let's talk about your career. You mentioned to me earlier that you started out in commercial real estate, but something I read about you, Nancy, is that you had a close relationship with your dad, who was a railroad worker, and that he sadly lost a large inheritance in a land deal at, you know, many decades ago. But then he really encouraged you to enter the commercial real estate profession. Was he a big influence on your life? The biggest of any individual ever. He actually suffered a terrible accident when I was eight and became my primary caregiver after school. So he was, you know, the stay-at-home dad before there was, before stay-at-home dads were even a thing. He was a girl dad even before that was a thing. Uh He had four daughters, but I was the youngest and my mom went to work when he got injured and he was my primary caregiver after school. So my love of math and science really came from that relationship and him like challenging me when I was, you know, nine or 10 years old, we'd go to the grocery store together and he would challenge me to see how close I could get to the final bill tally by what Mm. we were putting in the basket. And I'm not talking, it was like three items. It would be like 40 items. And he would challenge me to do the math in my head. So it was huge influence. And after really actually around the same time when he made that investment with his brother, with some unscrupulous folks, I was probably 14 or 15 at the time, like within a couple of years, he saw something in me and said, you should go into commercial real estate. You have an Mm -hmm. eye for this. You should do it. And, you know, I just like most teenagers looked at him and said, what are you talking about? How do you know this about me? Like, you can't possibly be that wise, even though I he was such a great influence. I still was like, I'm going to do my own thing. How Mm -hmm. dare you (laughs) tell me what you think I should do and went on to do my own thing for, I don't know, 15 years. And what what was that? What was, what were you doing for 15? So I, you mentioned my two degrees. I Mm -hmm. 
education was always really important in the family and uh, got my two degrees. And then I started off my career relatively early in the construction industry. Mm -hmm. And I worked for a mechanical engineering and construction company in Tallahassee, Florida, who built Procter & Gamble plants and juice plants for like Snapple and toilet paper plants, where they make these big, huge, massive rolls of toilet paper. And I did all their marketing coordination and field relations. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I loved it. I love the construction side of the business. I wasn't a contractor or an estimator, but I was around that whole industry early in my 20s. Absolutely loved it. And I did that for a number of years. And then I moved from Florida to North Carolina and worked in the AEC industry, again, with architects and engineers and contractors, Mm -hmm. always on the marketing and sales side. That was where my skill set really, where I was most comfortable and my gifts are to pursue work and build relationships. And then I worked a little stint in technology. And then we came back to Florida in the early 2000s, I think 2001. And I worked for a female engineer in the state of Florida who was just a phenomenal person. And after three years of working with her, I woke up one day and said, I think I want to go into brokerage. And Went and sat with my dad and said, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> you were right. And uh-huh. I think I want to go into commercial real estate. And he said, well, what type? And I said, you know, I'm going to go and land because I've always been so attracted to the front end of the deal. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love the visionary part of the business. So, well, Nancy, what was it about your relationship with your boss at the engineering company that made you realize that you wanted to go into brokerage? Well, my relationship with her was actually really, really wonderful. She was the first woman, female CEO boss that I worked for and was a mom herself and Mm -hmm. just incredibly well-respected, super smart, very good in business development, was not what we would in the industry call a typical engineer. You know, she had both left and right brain, uh, Uh but was just a really, really wonderful person very generous and very encouraging. And it wasn't that my relationship with her caused me to want to do it, but I look back at that time, she certainly encouraged me to go after my dreams. When I gave notice, her office was in Central Florida. I I live in the Tampa Bay region. Uh I drove to her office. I literally cried when I gave my notice because I knew I was doing it for me, but I knew I was going to miss that relationship. And she came around her desk with a box of Kleenex and she put it in my hand and she said, I believe in you and you're going to do great. But if for some reason it's not a fit, you are always welcome back. I will find a place for you. And it was really nice to know that that boss or that influence was such that she wanted me to go for my dreams. You know, there was no like negativity at all. Yeah. That's amazing. And that's so important that we have that support system at work and just in our life, have other women in our lives like that. And I think we'll talk about, you know, your work with the podcast and everything, but I think that's very related. You know, the idea that as women, we have to support other women in pursuing their dreams and, you know, not being competitive with them as things maybe used to be (laughs) back, you know, a few decades back. Right. Well, even for Lila, she, it was such that I think really, even looking back at my entire career, I'm not sure if I ever had that before or after, even really. Yeah. Yeah. Where it was just, it wasn't about her holding a grudge. She was about 
fly baby bird, you know, get out of the nest, like go figure out if you can do this. And if it doesn't work, I know you are really, really talented and I don't want to lose you, but I don't also want you to stay because you're afraid to try. Right. It was really remarkable. And well, it wasn't all about her. It was about you. Yeah. 100%. And so when we talked about the intro, we went over your your educational background. And it's interesting because you have a career, you have a degree in finance, right? And so can you talk about like, how did international trade and finance work into construction? Or is it totally just not related? It's not really related, but I think it is part of my journey. I grew up in New Orleans, actually right outside of the city, about 10 minutes outside of New Orleans proper. And so I grew up on a river, basically, that had significant trade. And I watched that, right? Like growing Mm -hmm. up, like I was very fascinated with how commerce, trade commerce, and how it all worked. And when I needed to choose a a degree or a major, I knew I wanted to be in business. Mm -hmm. I didn't really know. I was a first-generation college student. I really didn't understand, like, well, all the different business Mm -hmm. aspects, I knew I wasn't great in accounting, even though I was a good math student. I didn't love accounting, still do not love accounting. It's okay. (laughs) I do it because I have to, right? But for me in school, I was very attracted to how the global economy worked. It was fascinating. And in the late 80s, there was a lot of talk about NAFTA, the North American Trade and Finance Agreement between Mexico, Canada, and the U.S., And it just seemed to make a lot of sense from what was happening in like the global economy. And there was a lot more talk about that. And I thought, you know, if I'm going to specialize in something, that's probably a good thing for me to do. But I really only worked one job in that specific industry. I worked like as a summer intern at the New Orleans Port Authority. That was it. (laughs) It never went back. But I do think that that skill set and that economic influence or that education has served me very well. So you don't Would you agree that you don't actually really need a degree in construction and real estate to work in those industries successfully? Absolutely not, which is probably one of the biggest shocks for me to admit vocally, (laughs) right? In the state of Florida, you only need to be 18 years old (laughs) and be able to take the licensing coursework and pass the licensing test to become an agent. And And are there many successful... Oh, absolutely. I know a lot of people who didn't have any college education, Yeah, you know, like none, they went straight from high school right into real estate. I think it's for me, at least like education is super important. I think it's the economic equalizer, especially Mm -hmm. for women. I think we're seeing that. I think we're going to see more and more and more of that over the Mm -hmm. next, you know, couple of decades. When I was graduating college, I think it was somewhere around the low 50 percentile of women to men. Mm -hmm. But now it's like 60% of college students are females. So there's this huge groundswell. I think education is super important. And and for me personally, I am a true believer that that's economic freedom for women is to be educated. Yeah, it's a good thing to get educated and for women to be going after their college degrees. But it's so interesting because when you think about part of the reason why, it's what you said. It's that we have to prove ourselves. And it's not just women. It's also minorities. Like I've interviewed women, I've interviewed women of color who have said like, yes, in order to get the reason I have so many degrees is because I had to have those credentials because I needed them to back myself up so that people would take me seriously. And I think we all can relate as women, we can relate to that. And so maybe that's part of the reason, but you know what? It's a good thing that women are getting these educations. 
I think it's fantastic. But I also, I mean, you know, we're talking about the higher education college mm-hmm. path, right? But I right. also think it's equally important to apply that to the trades. Mm-hmm. You know, like your people or the folks who may be listening that are more construction oriented. Mm-hmm. I look at it as if you're going to work in construction or in a trade or with your hands, your education is the, one of the best things you can invest in. Mm-hmm. There's, there's really two things. And when like, you say your education, do you mean your education as far as college? Or are you talking about other types of education? As both. Well? Both. So it could be college. It could be trade education, you know, whatever that is, like learning and really understanding the business and understanding your craft, I think is there really isn't a better place for you to put your time and money. And so for we were talking a minute ago about people are coming out of high school and getting, you know, these careers in real estate. And it's, I can see how that would be very tempting to, if you were a high school student coming out of high school and see other people your own age doing that. But is it for everybody? And what would you say is, like, if you're not going to go the degree path and you do want to pursue something like that, what would be the qualities that you had to have as a person or that you had to work on? I don't think it's for everybody. Mm-hmm. I also don't believe, even though I'm a huge proponent of education, that co- the college path is necessarily for everyone. Yeah. You hear me talking about trade, trade, trade. Yeah. When I talk about education, I include both of those pies, right? It's your education, either in your trade or in a more structured university setting. Right. In terms of the skill sets, for me, and this might not be a very popular opinion, it would be hard for me to take an 18 or a 19 year old super seriously on the other side of the table that does not have any experience mm-hmm. if they were trying to negotiate a deal, mainly because they just don't have the knowledge or the life experience. Right. But I don't believe I would feel the same way if it was somebody who didn't have any of that experience and they were, you know, maybe 32 or 40. Right. So some of that is just, you have to kind of put your time in, mm-hmm. you know, to be taken seriously. However, if you're super smart and you know how to get a deal done, that is going to become very apparent very quickly for me. If you know negotiation, negotiation skills, you need to have great negotiation skills, but you really need to know, like you have to be educated in the field that you're working Mm -hmm. in. So if you're going to be in my specialty as a land broker, you need to understand the key concepts because I don't have time to teach you. You know, so at least down here in my market, it's going to be, you know, you need to know what's land use, what's zoning, what does it mean to have floodplain on your site? What does Mm -hmm. it mean when I say, well, that takes, you know, 12 months to go through the process or what the term all permits means? Like there are all these nuances that you need to have like the basics covered. Once you have that, it can be a pretty lucrative place, but it can be incredibly challenging too. So that's the other side. You know, it's not for everyone. It is 100% commission-based. If I don't hunt it and kill it, I don't eat. (laughs) What would you say is the biggest challenge for women in your industry? That there aren't enough of us. There aren't enough of us, number one, I think is the biggest challenge. Because when you are the only woman in the room regularly, it can be a continuous drain on your motivation. And like you said earlier, we have to... And we do this to ourselves. We have to work so much harder to feel confident in that seat at the table that it's exhausting. But if there are more of us, you know, yes, you still want to be the best you can be, but if there are more of us then you feel like, okay, well, at least I can be more who I am and I know my mm-hmm. stuff, but it's a friend, a little bit of a friendlier environment. I mean, do you think it's important to have more women? I mean, there's so many reasons it's important to have more women, but are you saying that you feel like it's important to have more women at the table so that 
we can see others like ourselves and just know that it is the norm and not have to go that extra mile to start thinking about like, do I belong here? And, you know, how do I respond to this question so that I don't look, I don't know, so that I have to be defensive and things like, is that the sort of thing you're talking about? Because I've interviewed, this might've happened to you too, because you, you interview women in these similar industries. Some of the women that I interview have really risen to the top quickly in a very heavily male-dominated field, and they love that they're the only woman. <laughs> I've definitely talked to women like that. So what do you think? I think there's four questions in there. I'm sorry. <laughs> so I think that there are different personalities, right? Yeah. That will thrive in different types of environments. Yeah. And I do think that even myself, I love being the only woman in the room because I know I can hang with the guys. Okay. But at the same time, I recognize that I am not like most women in my industry. Okay. That are incredibly intimidated by that same environment. And when I speak that we need more women in the rooms and, and on the stages, it's because I'm really thinking about all my peers. Yeah. And I want them there. You know, that is the biggest challenge. And it's still an incredibly sexist world. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm constantly correcting people, you know, when... And not in a negative way, but I'll have a conversation with, say, someone who's calling on one of my listings, and they'll immediately say, well, can you can you talk to the owner and ask him what he really wants? Uh, yeah. And it's not on purpose. I understand that. Like, I have a husband. I have a son. Like, I love them. It's not even, they don't even think about it. It's just so ingrained. Mm -hmm. And so there's nothing that I love more when I have a female client to correct someone and say, well, first, my client is a woman and she is always willing to talk to me. I'd be happy yeah. to talk to her, you know, so I emphasize, yeah. you know, those things. And, you know, I think if, like, I love it because I'm like, I'm going to put you in your place, but any in journals, in newspaper mm -hmm. articles, in books, it's everywhere, mm -hmm. you know? So I, I say, you know, it's like, let's just acknowledge that, you know, it's a man and woman world. Right. Both of right. Us. Well, I love that you're such a proponent, even though you're such a strong personality and that's why you've gotten as far as you have and you're part of the reason you've gotten as far as you have in your career. I love that you're still all about promoting women and bringing them into the fold and making it an environment that we don't have to be the only woman. You don't have to have the strongest personality to make right. it in the field, right? Like we can all make it as women. So Let's talk a little bit about your podcast, because the reason this is part of the reason I believe that you created your podcast or the whole reason your podcast, She's Wild. Tell us about it. So She's Wild started with me about a year ago, thinking that there was something else I needed to do in terms of my career. I'm in my early 50s and I look around and change hasn't happened as rapidly as I think it should have mm -hmm. for a lot of different reasons. But when I look at my career, I'm really happy with the awards and the accolades that I've been able to achieve, mm -hmm. but I still see that there's a lot of room for improvement. And a few years ago, I was the chairperson for the Urban Land Institute's Women's Leadership Initiative in my region. And we created a lot of female content. There were a lot of only women events. And what I learned through that experience between 2016 and 2019 was all the stories that I shared earlier, right? All these women who were incredibly successful just really were overwhelmed constantly with being one of, you know, either the only one or one of two women in big rooms. Mm -hmm. 
And so we would create all this like women centric programming to just say like, Hey, like you're awesome. Like you said earlier, you're badass. Like you deserve to be here and we deserve to raise you. Yeah. But it is very common in my industry, particularly in land, but in commercial real estate there, I think if you look at like the crew survey, they say something that's like 46% of people who work in commercial real estate are women. Mm-hmm. But when you really dial it back and you take out more of the administrative, it that number drops to like to the lower mid 20 percentile. Okay. And then when you look specifically in the land category, mm-hmm. it's even lower than that. Yeah. And I have yet to be able to put my hands on a survey that tells me how many women are in the land specific side or the development. But if I had to guess, it's about 8%. So when you see such low numbers, it's very, very common to go to meetings and conferences and events where the only people up on the stage are men. Yeah. That there's anything wrong with that. These are usually incredibly accomplished professionals, but there are a lot of women in the industry who are equally accomplished, but for whatever reason, they're not getting those opportunities or they're not being asked or they're turning those opportunities down. Mm. And after just hearing this nonstop, about a year ago, I was in a conversation with somebody who was complaining about it. I was participating, complaining like, oh, when is this ever going to end? When are we going to see change? And I was driving home from the meeting and I thought, you know, that's part of my personal brand. I am known as that person who has figured out how to make it work for me, how to be successful in this environment. Maybe part of what I need to do is to help put a spotlight on these women that, again, for whatever reason, aren't getting invited to be on these panels or stages. Mm. And I thought, you know, I'm going to start interviewing women in my space and give them the spotlight and have them share their stories. And so that was really how it got started. So I started, the podcast started in April of this year. We have, you know, 23 episodes out at this moment in time. And I have been really blown away with the response I'm hearing. And I'm sure you do too, from women all over the world and all different aspects of the industry. And some of these people I see in my market that know me personally, Mm -hmm. but a lot of people I hear from, I've never met. Mm-hmm. And they're telling me these really intimate things about their lives, not in a bad way. They're just saying, yeah. like, I need to hear this. I needed to hear this. Yes. I needed to know that somebody else had this experience or they went and got their GC license. And I had a woman in, in Tampa who I know personally who came up to me one night at an event and she said, I just listened to one of your episodes. It's a third GC you had on and I'm going to go get my GC license. I've been thinking about it. It's been Mm -hmm. in the back of my head. And you know what? I finally decided this is something I want to do. And it's because I heard it on your show. Yeah. And that's enough for me. I'm like, you know what? That's the whole point is go after your dreams, go after the things you think you want to do. And if it is taking me to set the money and the time aside to have those conversations, I'm perfectly fine with that. And because it isn't cheap to run a podcast and it isn't quick to run a podcast. It's a lot of work. So congratulations on a year of doing this and all the episodes that you've recorded so far. It's a huge commitment. And they say like, I don't know what percentage, but a very large percentage of podcasts fail very early on because it's just so hard to keep up that momentum. So you well surpassed that. Thank you. Yeah. I acted really, really good advice before I launched. I called a few people who I knew who were podcasters, successful podcasters, 
not necessarily my market, but like somebody I'd met in my life somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I asked like, what's your best advice? Yeah. And a couple people, I think I talked to four different podcasters. A couple of them said, before you ever go live, make sure you have 10 episodes recorded. Mm-hmm. Because once you go live and you start to focus on like your business again, and this isn't like your number one thing that you're really trying to get off and launch, it will be easy for you to backfill with other guests. Yeah. And that was great advice. You know, so now that is good advice. You know, I stay about anywhere between 10 and 12 weeks ahead in content. That's, oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, they call it in the can. I just yeah, I it's in the when can. I started podcasting. It's, <laughs> it's ready. It's in it's production. In and, you know, every now and then I have to move stuff around. I, I had a podcast this, this week drop that I recorded early in the process. Like I've actually only been recording since I think March. So the podcast actually dropped in April 1st, mm-hmm. you know, April 14th. And I interviewed her really, really early in the process. And I finally got to where I was like, okay, I'm going to drop this one interview. And I kept apologizing to her and she was like, it's okay. And I'm like, well, because I'm sure this happens to you when people talk about either very, very timely topics or they Mm -hmm. date themselves and say like, Mm -hmm. oh, it's July 4th or it's Easter or Labor Day weekend. I have to move that up in rotation because I don't want it to feel like it's super stale. Yeah. So I'm constantly like moving the episodes around, but it's been fun. I really enjoyed getting to know like these phenomenal women across North America. So I just have a quick question about how you, you move your episodes around. So when you recently posted an episode that you recorded like months ago, did you notice any difference in your podcasting style? Yes, I did. And I'm like terrified of that, right? Like (laughs) I can see it. I can see how my interviewing is better now Mm -hmm. that I've done it so many more times. And I can also see how my appearance has changed. I've gained a little bit of weight since March. And I'm like, oh, Ooh. <laughs> your podcast is audio. It is primarily audio, but I do have it on video. So when okay. I edit, I look at the video to edit. But anyway, no, it's been a lot of fun. I think the biggest, the most wonderful reward is not only hearing from people that it's impacting and yeah. that listeners, but also the women who agree to the interview. If I don't know them, it's like I have this instant connection with them. And that's been really awesome to want to try to like help people in other markets. It's, yeah, I have to agree. The most wonderful thing about doing the Hazard Girls podcast is there's so many great things about it, but making all these friends. And I really, truly believe that these are amazing friendships that will last a lifetime. And we get to see each other at, you know, various conferences and things that happen throughout the year. And it's the friendships just grow. So that's great. Absolutely. Where can our listeners find your podcast and where can they get in touch with you? So I am pretty active on social media. I'm very active on LinkedIn and uh, Instagram. And my Instagram is really kind of the both sides of my life. That was the one place that I show a lot of my personal life and a lot of my business. And that was very, uh, it's not curated, but it was very purposeful that I would do both there. And then the podcast you can find on every major platform. It's just if you search for She's Wild or you search for my name, Nancy Surak, you can find it and begin to listen. And and like you, like I only, well, I don't know. I think most, you only interview women, correct? I only interview women. I have had a few men ask me to be on and I haven't said yes yet, but I'm thinking about it. (laughs) Same. So my goal is to only highlight and interview women and not because I'm trying to be, 
uh, discriminatory. It's just that that is the whole purpose well, of there's just, my podcast. There's so many, there's so many women that need to be interviewed. Right. And yeah, it's been great though. It's really been remarkable and I'm really happy, but I interview women in the entire development life cycle. So yeah. it could be anybody from a land broker like myself all the way through to the property manager who is managing the building after it's mm-hmm. been built. So I've had people on, I had a, an all-female development team out of Ontario, Canada, come on and the two leading women of that whole initiative talked to me all about why they did an all-female development team. And that was pretty remarkable. And then I just kind of, I scour the internet for people who I think I want to get to know. And then I always ask my listeners, like, if you know somebody, tell me who they are, because that's the whole purpose. I don't know everyone. Yeah. Why did they decide to put together an all-female development team? I'm curious. Oh, okay. So up in Ontario, Canada, there was a uh, like an annual publication that was done on like leading developers in their area. One of those publications came out and the topic or the headline was uh, the kings of condos. Mm-hmm. And it oh. featured, I think they said 25 developers in Ontario that were doing all these condo projects. They were all men in this publication. And one of the women who led this charge got a hold of the article, like the magazine, and she worked for a man in a development role, but she was head of development for this company and walked in and threw it on his desk. And she said, this shit has to stop. Yeah. And he said, okay, well, what are you thinking? And she said, I think I want to put together an all-female team. And he said, I'll support you, make it happen. Nice. And there was another woman who was a condo developer that she called and said, let's chat. I have an idea. And their whole team, all women. So all the way from, you know, the civil engineer to the architect Mm -hmm. to all the contractors, it's all female team. Cool. That sounds like a great episode. Which episode is that? For me, that is episode three. Okay. So we'll have to definitely check that one out. That sounds really good. Yeah. And they're remarkable, like really like total badass women. Oh, yes. I'm sure they are. Well, Nancy Sarek, top woman land broker in the nation, 2021, host of She's Wild podcast about women in land and development, many other titles as well. Thank you so much for joining us on the Hazard Girls podcast. We love all the great things you're doing for women and have learned so much from you today about land and development as a career. So we appreciate you so much. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. You have been listening to the Hazard Girls podcast on Jacket Media, sponsored by Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company. That's junojonesshoes.com. And you can go there to learn about our steel toe boots and to join the Hazard Girls community. I'm your host, Emily Salaby. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.